I was reading in the Corinthian letter this week, 2 Corinthians, and the Apostle Paul, in the midst of an amazing chapter, it's a very complex chapter actually, profound, uh, he uses a phrase, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Another version says, in earthen vessels. A modern paraphrase says, we have this treasure in cracked pots. Okay, and uh, that's referring to us, okay? When I thought about that, I was reminded of a book that I had just completed reading. And uh, in fact, they made a movie out of this book, which I didn't see. Came out in 2014, got a picture of that, The Monuments Men, starring Matt Damon and George Clooney. And I guess it was not a blockbuster. I read one critic that said that the the top-notch stars couldn't rescue a poorly written script. And the book, on the other hand, I've got another picture that shows the book, and it's Monuments Men, Allied Heroes, Nazi Thieves, and the Greatest Treasure Hunt in History. And uh, i got to admit, the first 300 pages were a bit tedious, <laughs> but it was interesting but then the next 150 pages, I'm a persister, you know, and uh, they got really exciting as the war was closing down. And uh, I was, I'm pretty impressed, amazed, actually, at what happened there. And by the way, the book's always better than the movie, and it certainly was more historically accurate. But here is the story. I mean, it was in the late 1930s that Nazi Germany began to expand and gobble up the nations around it. In fact, I got a uh, map here I want to show you. Some of you may not remember or realize this. Most of us don't remember, but it's like, okay, there's Nazi Germany, uh, and at the height of its extended power in, in, in uh, 1942, it had gone north and, and taken over Norway. It had gone east into these Eastern European nations and all the way to Moscow, okay, down into North Africa, and uh, all the way to France. And so it was a force that in its path it took everything, but Adolf Hitler in particular, egomaniac that he was, he had a penchant for art, sculptures, uh, tapestries, altarpieces, and he had this dream, among other things, of building a museum in his hometown in Austria that would be the greatest museum in the world. So he had commissioned people to confiscate, certainly, the art belonging to the Jewish families, and that was all just taken. Uh, and they were planning, eventually, to exterminate a whole race of people, and, of course, in the Holocaust. So that art he took, but he took anything else they could get their hands on. He and his henchmen, they robbed it from museums, from churches and cathedrals, the government buildings, they stole all of that art and they stored it away in caves where they thought that it might be safe from any bombing. They stored it in cathedrals, uh, uh, excuse me, not cathedrals, but uh, castles, including the new Swanstein Castle, that one that Disney patterned his castle after uh, in southern Germany. Um, it was filled with art treasures. I mean, they loaded it onto boxcars and took trainloads away from various places 
And uh, they stored it in mines, salt mines, that were miles underground that had all these different caverns and everything. And uh, that was their plan. And they stored it also in their mansions, which they had claimed. Um, they, they just were taking everything in their, in their way. Well, when the Normandy invasion took place and the Allied troops stormed ashore, there had been people in America and in the other Allied nations who had a desire to see the monuments preserved, not bombed by Allied bombing. And so they really appealed to the government about that. But they also knew that the Nazis were stealing all this art treasure. And so they appealed to the U.S. government to form a special unit in the army uh, to go with the army and to uh, reclaim these treasures, to recover this lost art, and to try to preserve everything they could in the way of the incoming Allied troops. Well, it's amazing, uh, the story that happened. I mean, these people trekked all over with the army, sometimes alone, in jeeps or abandoned vehicles that they could find, tracking down leads to find out where this artwork was, where these sculptures were, where all these treasures were, and they had to talk to people. It's quite fascinating what happened, and much of it was never recovered. Much of it was destroyed by what was called the Nero Decree of Hitler right at the end of the war. He wanted everything destroyed. In fact, all the infrastructure of his own Germany, in fact, uh, in the path of the incoming allies. But much of it was recovered. And there's a great deal of debt owed to those people, many of them were art aficionados, museum directors, and whatever, that took on uniforms and became the monument's men. Well, I thought about this, this recovery of treasure, and I thought there are some real parallels to that in this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that I think apply to our spiritual lives today. I'm getting there. Uh, I think it really is relevant. And I want to uh, lay that before you. There's an outline in your bulletin. I just want to mention three parallels here. Here's the first one. Recovering stolen treasure changes the way we see ourselves and others. And Paul has been talking about their ministry to the church in Corinth because their ministry had been under attack there. He had planted the church there. But now there were some in the church who were disparaging him. And he's defending his ministry. And he says this, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we didn't make it up, he gave it to us by his mercy when he redeemed us, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, as Paul was being under attack and they were disparaging him and his lack of success or his lack of eloquence or his appearance, he said, you have to understand, we're just who we are. We're not trying to make anything up. We're just stating the truth. And uh, that's what we want to put before you. Because it isn't about us anyway, it's about the message, the truth of the gospel that uh, we're laying before you. And then he says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I'm going to paraphrase here what, he's, what I think he's really saying. He's saying, you would like your apostle to be a star. You'd like to have him uh, have Hollywood looks to be the, just the uh, appearance of success. Whereas you know that we've struggled and we've had trials and we've had difficulties and challenges. You want some kind of a superstar because you think that your unbelieving friends would be more attracted to that type of person than to the kind of people we are. But you've got to understand something. It isn't we or our lack of, uh, of success that has been a barrier to the unbelievers. Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers because they are so distracted and attracted by the things the world has to offer. They can't see the truth of who Jesus is in all his glory, and he's the image of God. And then he says this, for we do not preach ourselves. It isn't about us. Don't look at us. But Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We're not lifting ourselves up. We're coming as servants to present him. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This ministry, he's saying, is not about us anyway. You're looking at us and, and finding fault with us, but what we are are servants to share with you what Christ has given to us. And the same God who said, let there be light in the beginning at creation has shown the light of the knowledge of the gospel into our hearts and that's what we want to shine through. And then he says this, we have this treasure in jars of clay. There you go. It's the treasure of the presence of God that comes through faith in believing the gospel. Yeah, we're jars of clay. We're cracked pots, but hopefully the light is shining through so others can see the glory of Jesus and who he is. Folks, when we recover that treasure, that understanding of, of what we have within us, the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus and, and who he is and what he's done for us, it changes not only the way we see ourselves, it isn't about us, it's about him and what he's done, and it isn't about others either in a negative way, as they were looking at Paul and his associates. Sometimes we look at other believers and we see flaws, we see things that maybe could be changed and we can be critical. But wait a minute. They're jars of clay too. They have within them that same light of the knowledge of Christ. And we need to understand that. So it'll help us to see ourselves and others differently, not disparaging one another, but encouraging one another to let that light shine through so we can point others to Christ. Here's another parallel that I see. Recovering stolen treasure changes the way we handle present trials, for sure. Now he gets to the heart of this passage when he's been saying, it's not about us. And then he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God 
and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. He's being honest here. He's being really authentic. He says, sometimes i got to admit, we're confused. But we don't give up. We get knocked down, but we get up. Why? Because it's about Him and His power and the mission that He has entrusted to us and the treasure that we have within us that we need to offer, and that's why we've come as servants. He's saying these trials that we have display the fact that even through weak vessels like us, through jars of clay, it's God's power. It displays it as black velvet displays a multifaceted, brilliant diamond. So the fact that we're struggling, that we have trials, that we have failed time and time again in different ways, only illustrates the power of God to keep us going. It's about Him, and it's about this treasure that we have within. And then later in this chapter, or book, by the way, this letter, in chapter 11, Paul talks about his persecutions, about being shipwrecked, about the dangers he's faced, about the hunger and the thirst and the sleepless nights. He's laying it out there. He's saying, you're right. We struggle, and that only further illustrates it's got to be God's power that keeps us going because of this treasure that we have within. Last week, uh, Nabil Qureshi died at 34 years of age. He spoke a few years ago at the Hawaii prayer breakfast. Some of you may have heard him. It was a powerful message. When he went to Old Dominion University as a devout Muslim um, out of high school, he was roomed with a devout Christian. And they shared and discussed and debated uh, for years about faith. And it forced both of them to the roots of their faith and to study and amazingly, ultimately, uh, Nabil came to Christ. And uh, he became a devout follower of Jesus. And in fact, he was brilliant. Uh, he became a part of Ravi Zacharias' ministry. Ravi has a worldwide ministry where he goes to universities. He's been to ours and just talks and debates. And he just has a powerful, uh, well, he, he deals with philosophy and, and the ideologies of the age. Well, Nabil did the same thing, and Nabil would debate Muslims around the world in universities. Somebody pointed out the other day, his goal wasn't to defeat the Muslims. Nabil's goal was to present Jesus, and uh, certainly his life uh, was a jar of clay. And when he was uh, diagnosed with cancer a year ago, uh, wow, I heard interviews by him, and he talked about his faith in Christ, there was an interview that he had last May with uh, World Radio, and he said this. He said, you have to understand, if you are suffering, if there are trials in your life, even now, that that suffering has opened a door that would not otherwise have been opened. It's a door of witness to people about the power of God in your life as you experience and encounter this trial. You need to walk through that door. You need to praise God for that door. Wow. 
You know, I could tell you that. But when someone like that in the midst of a battle with cancer can say that, that is the light of Christ shining through a, a, a jar of clay. I believe that was what Paul was talking about here in this passage. And then in verse 16, he repeats his comment from earlier. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Because it's not about us. It's about this treasure that has been entrusted to us. And by the way, lose heart means we're not crushed. Though outwardly we are wasting away, some of us who are older can identify especially with that phrase, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Isn't that encouraging? Yeah, we know that as we age, some things just don't work like they used to. But you know what? Inside, something is changing as we follow Christ. For our light, listen to this, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is seen, unseen is eternal. That's amazing that he could say that his afflictions were light and momentary. But the reason he could say that is he wasn't focused on them. He was focused on eternity and the treasure within and what was being laid up for eternity. And Jesus said, don't lay up treasure here on earth where moth and rust and thieves can destroy and steal, but lay it up in heaven. And that's what we do for Christ here. And the people that come to Christ, they're the treasures too that will be there for all of eternity. Well, when the Monuments Men was being formed before the invasion of the Allies into Europe, there was a fellow named George Stout. He was at a uh, department at Harvard University's Fogg Museum. And he said something which I think is powerful. He said uh, in this letter, to safeguard these things, these treasures, will show respect for the beliefs and customs of all men and will bear witness that these things belong not only to a particular people, but also to the heritage of mankind. These monuments are not merely pretty things, not merely valued signs of man's creative power. They are expressions of faith, and they stand for man's struggle to relate himself to his past and to his God. He's saying, you know, we have to think of future generations too. When we preserve these treasures, those in the future are going to be able to enjoy them, appreciate them, and understand the heritage that has been passed down to them. Well, there's a real parallel to us when we're facing trials. We have to understand, when we persevere, when we trust God, when we have an eternal perspective in the challenges and difficulties that we face, it's leaving a legacy for future generations and testifying that it isn't about how we preserve ourselves, but about how we persevere in the midst because of the power of God that is at work within us because of this treasure that we have in these jars of clay. And then one more parallel, and that is this. Recovering stolen treasure restores the looted wealth to the rightful owner. Paul said this in verse 13 in this passage, We know 
that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Paul's saying, you don't see much in us? Guess what? We agree with you. It's not about us. It's about the treasure within. And because of the treasure that we possess, and that you possess also because you have Christ in your lives, we're all going to be raised up and presented to God. And here's the thing. We once belonged to, to God. We were created, all people were created in the image of God. But we were ripped off by Satan. And our sin, uh, which he took advantage of, kept us from God, alienated us from God, so we're no longer his. We belong to Satan. We followed the God of this world, whether we knew it or not. But Christ has redeemed us now that we've found faith in him. And he's claimed us, and now we, I'm changing the analogy a little bit, now we are the treasure that is being rescued and presented back to God. And not only that, but then he says this, all of this is, your, is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. In other words, as this gospel telling about God's grace through the cross spreads to more and more people, they come to know Christ. They too become treasures that are reclaimed for God and brought back to Him. And so that's how he concludes this passage and says that treasure that was lost has now been regained as people come to Christ and we be presented back to Him. Let me close with a couple of quick illustrations that I think parallel this from the Monuments Men. Hermann Goring, you may recognize the name, he was Hitler's Reich Marshal. He was the commander of the Air Force, the Luftwaffe. And he too had a real penchant for art. And he filled mansions with his own personal art that he uh, requisitioned and, and stole. Toward the end of the war, the Allies were coming from the west, the, uh, the, the Russians were coming from the east, and Berlin was, you know, just cordoned off. It was, it was only a matter of days before the war would be over. Hitler is down underground in his bunker, hunkered down, and Goring, egomaniac that he was, he got dressed in his finest military uh, costume, and uh, he prepared to meet with General Eisenhower. He thought that he would be able to negotiate and, and sue for peace. That's ridiculous. Well, they just grabbed Goring and threw him into prison. And uh, so they learned about his artwork. And then one of the persons that was interrogating Goring realized they knew that he had conspired with Hitler in the Holocaust, in the final solution to destroy the Jewish people and lots of other, millions of other people as well. He'd been just a part of that. But he showed no remorse for that in the interrogations. So then they learned that one of the pieces of art that Goring had so desired, uh, he had traded 150 pieces of artwork for that one piece. 
And then they learned that that one piece was a fraud. So this interrogator walked in, sat down, and, and explained that to him. And he said, for the first time, I saw remorse on that guy's face. <laughs> he was crestfallen. The millions of people that he had participated in killing, he didn't care about, but it was that. Talk about just misplaced uh, understanding and values. He didn't understand anything like that. Well, how much was recovered? It's amazing. When, you know, I've seen lists of what was recovered there. I mean, they got into the Merkers salt mine in uh, Germany that had all these caverns and everything in it. One room was filled with gold, just stacks of gold. It was the Nazi gold, $6 billion worth. They found the crown jewels of Hungary in a barrel in a lake. They, they, they found so much treasure. In fact, in southern Germany alone, there were over a thousand repositories of these treasure troves that they were able to recover. And uh, it included things like, well, certainly gold, uh, masterpieces. I mean, you think of the Mona Lisa and Michelangelo statues and all those kinds of things. But in addition to that, there were church bells and stained glass from various cathedrals. Uh, there were religious items and whole libraries and, and diamonds and, and, and wine and, and everything else. And what would they do with it? What would the Allies do with it? Now, Russia, coming from the East, they just took it all back to the Soviet Union, along with the factories, the automobiles, and people as slave labor. They took that with them. They said, that's the spoils of war. But what would the Allies coming from the West do with this? And that was a big question toward the end of the war. I mean, after all, the countries knew that these allies had given a whole generation of young men as sacrifice and the, their national treasures to come in and to win this war and, and uh, liberate Europe. So what would they do with it? Well, it didn't take long for a decision to be made, and they declared that all of it would be returned to their rightful owners. Of course, the Jewish families, most of them were gone that had those possessions, but they would give back as much as they could to any rightful owner. Uh, in fact, it took them six years after the war to catalog it and to distribute it back, even to Germany and Austria. And that stunned many people because they thought nobody ever did that before. Not on this kind of a scale to give back that kind of treasure to an enemy who had you know, been hostile. But they gave it back to the rightful owners, and Ike, General Eisenhower, the Supreme Allied Commander, he made that very clear, and uh, that's exactly what they did. I think it's just a beautiful picture in, in what God has done to redeem us, to reclaim the treasure that has been lost. And it had to be at the treasure of his own son coming and giving his life for us. And now that light of Christ shines into our lives. And when we see that, we are liberated from Satan and this treasure, these treasures of, of, of our lives are given back to the rightful owner and that's the one who created us and that's God himself. And when we reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ to others, treasure is being reclaimed and it belongs to God and he deserves the glory and the praise that will come from this recovered treasure. So that's what fuels us. It's not about us. We're just jars of clay but we have this treasure 
in jars of clay. And we must never forget that. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, thank you for the treasure and the joy that this treasure brings to us. Not gold or silver or diamonds or anything like that. Something much more lasting and important than that. The light of the knowledge of Christ. And I pray that we who know you would value that treasure and express it to those around us. And I pray that anyone here this morning not possessing that treasure would avail herself or himself of it because it's free. Simply through believing and receiving what you've done. So we ask you to do that in our lives, Jesus. Amen.